You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today we're going to be talking about functional anatomy. We're going to, here's some feedback that we've gotten from people. When we address things that commonly show up on the test, we tend to get better numbers. So <laughs> uh, the downloads increase, the amount of listeners increase. And so I think that this one is a pretty good application for something that you're expected to understand as a certified personal trainer, which is functional anatomy. It's what muscles do, how they produce and reduce and dynamically stabilize in multiple planes at various speeds in these safe and coordinated fashion that we need to understand. So what it just does concentrically or the lift phase is helpful, but we also need to know, know what it does in function, how it decelerates and how it stabilizes. So uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about joint actions and planes of motion and just kind of a basic anatomy. I don't want to go too deep into things, but some basic anatomy of what to expect when you see uh, a muscle and understand how it works, but just more than what it does when it lifts. I'm going to start at the lower body. So... Listen, okay, we will get to pecs, all right? Just pump the brakes. We're going to get there. But I'm going to start the lower body and work our way all the way up towards the top. Certainly will not complete everything during this first episode. We're going to try to keep everything to about 20 minutes. We're going to get a few muscles in. And then we're going to keep going through until we exhaust all of these primary muscles that we want to address. So let's get right into it. Starting at the bottom, working our way up, we're going to look at the anterior tibialis. Anterior tibialis is a muscle on the front of the shin. And it is your primary dorsiflexor. So that muscle is going to dorsiflex or pull your foot up towards your shin. In. But that's not all. It also is an inverter of the foot. So as that uh, dorsiflexion takes place, it will invert the foot as well. And uh, I know I'm not going to spend a lot of time just discussing what each joint action is. So this might be something you just need to go back and review yourself if you're not sure what the joint actions are. So a, a dorsiflexion is going to take place primarily in the sagittal plane, the inversion is a frontal plane movement as the feet start to, the palms of the feet, the plantar surface of the feet start to face each other. So it does dorsiflexion inversion. It decelerates eversion and plantar flexion. So what it really does functionally, you got to think about is, let's say as you're walking, when your heel hits the ground, it is going to, if that muscle weren't there, the heel would hit and your foot would just flop to the ground like clown feet, flop, flop, flop as every time your heel hit. Well, that's not how we walk. It's not how we decelerate uh, or how we move. So when we hit the ground, the anterior tibialis is responsible for that deceleration of plantar flexion. If you've walked around the city a lot, so for instance, when I first moved to New York City, I got anterior shin splints. I got a lot of shin pain, and it was often because of this eccentric, this constant eccentric deceleration of plantar flexion because I would hit my heels into the ground and I would decelerate um, that plantar flexion every time I hit, and it ended up turning into micro tears, and those micro tears and that soreness from walking around all the time uh, ended up causing a greater series of inflammations. But that's why, and that's how it took place. That's one of the major functions of your anterior tibialis. 
What you may also see is, think about an overhead squat assessment. If you've got limited range of motion and dorsiflexion, a lot of times people are going to use their anterior tibialis muscles to dorsiflex, to try to get down deeper into a squat, especially when you don't have weight coming down on top of you. This is a body weight exercise. So if that weight's not pushing you through um, the tightness that might be at your ankles, then it's going to be much harder to do. So you're going to actively try to dorsiflex to get down into it. Sometimes when you do that, we'll add another few muscles in here. You might see the big toe or the toes in general come up off the ground. So if you don't have their shoes on and you see their toes pop up, then what's happening there is another series of muscles that assist the anterior tibialis in dorsiflexion. And those muscles are the extensor hallucis longus and extensor digitorum longus. Those are, hallucis is your big toe, and the digitorum muscles are your smaller toes. And, and, and they, because they cross not just the toes, but they cross over the front of the ankle, they do toe extension, but they also do dorsiflexion. So when you see the toes pop up, it's usually because there's not enough range of motion at the ankle. The anterior tibialis isn't enough and strong enough to do its job. Calves might be too tight, and those big toes start to pop up off the ground and, and attempt to assist with dorsiflexion. So that one's kind of interesting. Let's go into the posterior tibialis muscle. And posterior tibialis is, same thing, anterior tib on the front side of the tibia, posterior tibialis on the posterior medial side of the tibia, uh, tibia bone. And here's what we're looking at. We've got plantar flexion that's going to take place, so it points the foot and it inverts. So the other muscle, the anterior tibialis, inverts as well. So they are both inverters at the ankle, but the anterior does the dorsiflexion, the posterior does the plantar flexion, but it controls both the sagittal and frontal planes, and they work concurrently to help with locomotion. They work concurrently to help with propulsion. So we've got this posterior tibialis, primary concentric movement is, it is a plantar flexor and an inverter it will decelerate dorsiflexion and eversion. It decelerates dorsiflexion and eversion. So we get a lot of eversion, a lot of flat feet, feet turned out, um, eversion where the middle part of the ankle seems to be drooping in. Then the posterior tibialis muscle is an excellent muscle to do isolated activations with in order to realign what's going on at the ankle. So we've got anterior tibialis, it does dorsiflexion inversion, posterior tibialis, concentrically plantar flex and inverts as well. So those are your two tibialis muscles. And then we can move on to a group of muscles called the peroneals. And they're also experiencing a change in nomenclature. Uh, they are starting to be referred to not just as the peroneals, but there's a, a big shift and change to name them the fibularis muscles. And that's because the tibialis muscles are located on the tibia, the peroneals are lo located on the fibula. And so there's a shift in name. So you might see peroneals and you might see the fibularis brevis or fibularis longus. And these two muscles, they do... Um, eversion of the ankles. They, they take the ankle and they evert it. 
and they also are plantar flexors. So along with the uh, posterior tibialis, which is a plantar flexor inverter, the peroneal brevis and longus is a plantar flexor and everter. There's also another peroneal that um, that will also do um, eversion, but it is a dorsiflexor. So let's look at the next muscle, and this is going to get into the calves. So we're going to start with the calf muscles. We're going to do the soleus and the gastrocnemius. So the soleus, you can see by the alignment of fibers where they are and what plane of motion they're primarily going to work in. And we have to take into account what joints they cross. So the soleus doesn't cross a knee joint. It is only crossing over the ankle joint. And it goes from the... Um, the head of the fibula, and a little bit on the medial border of the tibula, tibia, and it goes all the way down into the calcaneus through the Achilles tendon. And it is a plantar flexor. It is a major plantar flexor, so it points the foot, or it points the ankle. It will also do um, a little bit of supination at the subtalar joint, but primarily, we're going to look at the its job as a plantar flexor. So it points the foot. Now, the gastrocnemius, on the other hand, it has two major joints that it crosses. It crosses on the posterior side. It crosses over the ankle, which we, we know because they, they join together. The soleus and the gastroc cross over the ankle, but the gastrocnemius crosses over the knee as well. And because it crosses over the knee, it's got some joint actions that it will do at the knee. But let's look at the ankle first. It crosses over the ankle, and it will do plantar flexion at the ankle. It will also do flexion of the knee. So if you go, if you've ever done like a hamstring curl, and sometimes you feel like your calves are working. That is because your calves are working. Um, if you want to engage your gastrocnemius a little bit more when you do things like stability ball leg curls or prone or seated leg curls, you can actually dorsiflex. And through dorsiflexion, it creates a tautness in the gastrocnemius, and the gastrocnemius will then become a greater flexor of the knee. As a matter of fact, when you look at running, you might see running, and we will talk about, as we coach some running drills, that dorsiflexion is very important to have a much quicker uh, turnover in, in your flexion of your knee so that you can re-extend. And so we'll cue dorsiflexion a lot for people that we're looking to, to increase their sprinting time simply because it allows a quicker turnover with that speedy knee flexion. Um, and, and that increases our speed. Now, if we plantar flex the whole way, then it'll be a much slower knee flexion, so we add our dorsiflexion into it. So that is the, the gastrocnemius, and with the soleus and the gastrocnemius, what you may see is in an overhead squat assessment, those muscles become quite tight, and that is because they're going into, in a squat, you go down into dorsiflexion. Well, they decelerate dorsiflexion. They limit dorsiflexion when they're tight. So what you want to do is, it doesn't mean stop 
working or exercising your calves, but you do want to increase your range of motion there. So you might foam roll and stretch your calves and then do some activation for your anterior tibialis so that you practice going to dorsiflexion and increasing your strength and range of motion through dorsiflexion. So that's a series of things going through the gastroc, nemius, and the soleus. Now we can get on into things like the quadriceps. When you look at the quads, there are four muscles in the quads, which is what that means. Uh, quad and seps means head, so it's got four heads. And they all join forces at the patellar tendon, and they go over the kneecap, which I find fascinating. So the, the tendon goes over the top of the kneecap and attaches into this, um, this tibial tuberosity. It's a notch on the, the very top portion of the tibia. And, and all four of those cross over the knee. Now, one of them doesn't cross over the knee. One of them is, um, it's primary, it, it comes in from the hip. It's your rectus femoris. So the rectus femoris uh, crosses the hip and the knee. So all of these muscles will do knee extension. They extend the knee, and we see this a lot in isolation. If you look at a leg extension machine, it's very clear that you're going and using all four of these in knee extension. So there's your vastus um, lateralis, vastus medialis, and vastus intermedius. And your vastus medialis has a section of it called the vastus medialis obliques. Uh, and so it is that VMO that you oftentimes hear about, the little teardrop shape on the medial portion of your, your quadriceps right next to the patella. The, these muscles, all of them work together to concentrically extend the knee. They all work together to eccentrically decelerate knee flexion. So as you're lowering down into a squat, these muscles are still working. That You don't get pulled down into a squat by muscles that, that do this. You actually, as you're weighted, the same muscles that lifted you are the same ones that are lowering you down slowly. So you'll feel these muscles working in deceleration as well. Now, the rectus femoris, on the other hand, it has an additional job. So it, because it crosses the, the hip on the front of the body, so any muscle that runs primarily up and down on the front or the back of the body will be a primarily a sagittal plane mover. So it's going to flex and extend. As a matter of fact, another tip, flexion and extension, we'll see that in sagittal plane primarily. We see abduction and adduction, abduction and adduction take place in the frontal plane and the transverse plane. We'll have horizontal or transverse ab or adduction. And very few places may also call them um, transverse or horizontal um, flexion or extension, but that's a really a, a more rare um, happening. So what we look at here is location on the body and direction of fiber. Now, these muscles primarily run up and down on the front of the body, so they're going to be primarily sagittal plane movers. Flexion and extension indicate sagittal plane movement. And so we're going to have rectus femoris be a knee extensor and a hip flexor. They both, it extends the knee and it flexes the hip as well. So when we talk about hip flexors, then the rectus femoris can be added as a hip flexor, there are quite a few hip flexors that we can address. So let's go into 
um, let's go into those, our primary hip flexors, and then we'll move into our hamstrings and close up this particular show. So the primary hip flexors that you're going to have are going to be your iliacus and your psoas major. And we might see them listed together as the iliopsoas. It's not fair necessarily for those two to always be clumped together, but it's not unfair either. They are their own muscles. They have the similar joint actions and they tend to have, they've got a common tendon, but they are two separate muscles, but we oftentimes will hear them spoken together as the iliopsoas. But the iliacus and the psoas both work as hip flexors, your primary hip flexors. And they'll also do a little bit of abduction and external rotation. And that's just because of the, the line of pull. And they attach on this lesser trochanter of the femur. So it's a small notch on the inside of the bone. So as, as the hip gets pulled up into flexion, it will also pull the inside of the bone and create an abduction and external rotation at the hip. So we're looking at the iliacus and psoas working congruently so that they create hip flexion. That is their primary job is going to be hip flexion, which means they decelerate hip extension. So if you think about it, if you've got tight hip flexors and you want to jump, or you want to run, or you want to lift, and you're moving quickly. When a muscle is tight and, and you move it quickly, that muscle will activate and it will, it will contract. And so if I'm trying to jump high and I take a muscle that's tight into a stretch, then it could limit the ability for me to go into extension as that muscle contracts. So I'm going into hip extension, my hip flexor's tight, doesn't like to be moved into hip extension, so it will contract and it might limit my range of motion and limit my ability to move through that range of motion quickly. This is one of the reasons that we'll look at hip flexors and address those for a couple of reasons. One is because of performance outcomes. Uh, two, because it can help to reciprocally inhibit the posterior muscles, so things like the glutes, and then also because of where the psoas is located, it's connected directly to the, the lumbar spine. And if we've got people that are experiencing low back discomfort or low back pain, then it could be in part based off of your assessment because the psoas is tight and it leads to compression at those vertebrae. And simply by, by doing some stretching, we can alleviate some of their pain. And again, our job as personal trainers is not to help people get out of pain, but it's helped people move, feel, and function better. And if by doing a few stretches, somebody gets out of pain, even though our job as trainers isn't to address pain, doesn't mean that we can't address via assessment what's going on with somebody's movement patterns and we can alleviate pain by addressing movement dysfunction. Now, let's look at a few other hip flexors. We've got the TFL, the tensor fascia lata, and it is a hip flexor. It's, it's kind of the front pocket muscle. And if you go to your ASIS, the bony notch on the front of your pelvis, and you go to the greater trochanter of your femur, which is that bony notch on what we'll refer to as your hips, that, that hip bone. And then right in between those two is a muscle called your TFL. And it does multiple things. 
in in concentric action, it is a hip flexor, it's an abductor, and it's an internal rotator. In a closed chain, you won't see abduction because the feet are in a fixed position. So in an overhead squat, you might see somebody go into a squat and then their knees knock together. And that's because it's not abducting the knees, but the internal rotation components of the TFL are causing the knees to knock together. So the TFL might be a big part of the adduction that takes place in an overhead squat assessment. Well, it is a hip flexor. And it can be included in your hip flexors. And because when we get to foam rolling and you can't foam roll your primary hip flexors like your iliacus and your psoas, you will then, in fact, have to foam roll instead your rectus femoris, who is a synergist in hip flexion, your TFL, which is a synergist for hip flexion. And that way we can inhibit those muscles, but you would stretch all of the muscles. And if you've got a means of looking at and saying, okay, well, uh, which is my primary? This is for a more advanced conversation, but I would just say right now, stretch all of your primary hip flexors and foam roll your rectus femoris and your TFL. And that's going to be able to, to get both foam rolling and stretching addressed. And then you'd go through your activation series for your posterior chain muscles. So again, TFL, concentrically, it's hip flexor. It is an internal rotator and it is an ab. As a matter of fact, if you've ever been skiing, because I just went for the very first time this weekend, um, that pizza position that they put you in to stop yourself while going down a hill made my TFLs cramp on a couple of occasions, and that's because you abduct and internally rotate. So there's a lot of movement there. It will decelerate hip extension. It will decelerate internal rotation, uh, external rotation in an open chain and it will decelerate a deduction in an open chain. Now, there, there are some other components to the TFL, and that's a complicated muscle, but just know concentrically, hip flexor, abductor, internal rotator. A few other things we're going to get to in a later episode. So we're about 22 minutes in on this one. So we'll get into some other lower extremity muscles like the, the hamstrings and the adductor complex and the glutes, and we'll move up from there. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you found this helpful, and we will get into more functional anatomy with other muscles as we continue. This is the NASM CBT Podcast. As a thank you for listening to the NASM CPT Podcast, I've got a special offer for you, 20% off of any NASM order. You can use that 20% to get certified as a personal trainer through our CPT program, the standard for the fitness industry, or expand your career with one of our specializations, including our latest one, NASM Nutrition Certification, which gives you the skills to be a certified nutrition coach. Get 20% off your order by calling 800-460-6276 or visiting nasm.org and using the code PODCAST20. That's 800-460-6276, and the discount code is PODCAST20. Start changing even more lives today.